Boss Baby is unstoppable. Once again, it tops the box office. We'll talk about all that and more after we bake this potato. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Box Office Breakdown. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Box Office Breakdown. Of course, this is the show where we look back at the box office that was, and then we like to... Yeah, look at that. Carrie Lane, who usually fills in the rest of that sentence, uh, is not here this evening. She's at a, at a film festival, uh, hobnobbing it up with some of Hollywood's elite. So I will be here by myself. And you know what we do? We prognosticate about the box office that lie ahead. But, you know, while I may be solo inside the studio, I'm not solo for the entire show because right there, playing those fantastic sound effects, making sure everything runs smoothly. The man uh, who's literally the wind beneath my wings, the man who bakes my potato, Neil Plumley. Well, how's it going, everybody? <laughs> Proud to be a part of this situation right here. <laughs> we don't need Carrie Lane holding us down. Finally, we can soar free. Just what everybody's wanted. Just yeah, this yeah? is exactly what everyone's wanted <laughs> for so long. That's right. So, Neil, if they wanted to follow you on the World Wide Web and all the great social media platforms, where can they find you? Uh, Frank, you know, they can just go ahead and check me out at the Neil Plumley on basically everything. Twitter, Facebook, I guess, YouTube. I have some old vlogs from a few years ago nice. that I stopped doing. If you want to see some embarrassing things, go and check those out. YouTube.com slash the Neil Plumley. <laughs> that is on my must watch list. I'm excited about that. I might cue that up for right after I get home this evening. I highly disagree that you should do that. No, no, no. I'm looking I'm looking forward to it. I may start an after show dedicated to only talking about those vlogs. All right, fine. Okay, there you go. Uh, for me, uh, I'm Frank Moran, your uh, host only here in the studio, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Happy Go Jackie. But of course, folks, you can always like us on Facebook, give us those five stars on iTunes, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and of course, Neil is pulling up the chat, so you guys feel free to hop on in, share your thoughts about movies in general or anything that's opened up this weekend specifically. Uh, and we're going to jump right into it. Look at this. We're going to go right into the, the top five here. Now, you know, if you would have thought by last week... Uh, I, I knew many people that had tried to go see Boss Baby and were stymied, could not get into showings. Uh, and it surprisingly came out number one. I think even more surprisingly held strong for number uh, for a second week in a row, came in with another $26.3 million. Neil, does this strengthen your resolve to make time in your life to go see Boss Baby? Not at all, Frank. No? Not be, not, no, I'll, I'll be clear. Not because I think it's going to be a bad comedy. Mostly just because I, I don't really have all that much time to see movies in the first place. And I don't have that much uh, interest invested in this other than, you know, Alec Baldwin's amazing vocal talents. Uh, so I think I'll just pick it up when, uh, when it gets digital or when it comes to home video. Now, if you had to choose between, if you had to see one of these in the theater and you had to see either The Boss Baby or The Smurfs of Lost Village, which would you rather see in the theater? A thousand percent uh, for Boss Baby there, Frank. Really? Are you not a Smurfs fan at all? Uh, I'm not a... I'm not a I'm not a threequel kind of a fan. Gotcha. Yeah, well, you know, especially because the first two did really well in terms of uh, the box office, especially uh, uh, worldwide, and this last uh, one just did not catch fire at all. Yeah, it didn't seem to. I actually, uh, I think I, I think we all just went way too high. We thought it was going to do a lot better than it ended up doing. Yeah, it. Uh, and I don't know what it is about the Smurfs. Uh, I mean, I feel like. I don't know. I think people know what they are, but do people really, I guess, clearly this shows people aren't that excited about going to see a film about them. Yeah, I guess not. I don't know where uh, where the interest lied in the first two and, and how they were able to pick up those numbers, but at the, at the, at the onset of this one, it doesn't seem like they've able, they're able to tap into the market. Well, because certainly the first two played into the aspect where they're interacting more with humans, and this time it's just solely you're in the Smurfs world. No humans at all in this. Do, does that? Do you figure that maybe factors into it? People want to see the Smurfs interacting with humans as opposed to just being in their own kind of story. No, I don't think so because we've had tons of animated movies that are just take place in the animated world that are fine. It could be that. Um, well, you, you could have something there, and that maybe that's where the success for the first ones came around. But I also kind of doubt that. I think it's just people are, might might be getting tired of this sort of uh, story. 
You know, it's uh, you know they don't, they don't care about those little blue people that are three apples high. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> All right, so. Coming in number one, we've got the Boss Baby at twenty six point three million. Coming in number two, uh, still going strong again, pretty much a uh, almost a neck and neck finish, slightly uh, uh, slightly less than it did last week. Uh, Beauty and the Beast from Disney twenty five, a little a little over twenty five million dollars. Yeah, it's kind of incredible, Frank. How these two are uh, these two have been neck and neck for the past two weeks. I really thought that they would have had some sort of a um, a larger gap between the two. And, and actually, if I remember correctly, last week I picked Beauty and the Beast to take number one again, and uh, that just barely did not happen again. Yeah, it's I uh, I really thought that the boss baby, seeing how much it did last week, I I thought it would actually probably broaden the gap a little bit. But those people, those musical fans, still holding on strong. Ugh, it wasn't a good movie. <laughs> what, a, what a terrible thought! Nah, it wasn't a good movie. <laughs> yeah, there you go, uh, folks. Here we got in the chat. Uh, look at that. The uh, uh, yeah, 1989 Barker says the Smurfs didn't have much marketing. I, I mean, other than seeing the trailers, I guess I didn't really. Although I guess I really wasn't looking out for Smurfs marketing. I feel like the Boss Baby did a great job about marketing the heck out of itself. I agree. Especially, I think I think I, I saw countless trailers for Boss Baby. I think in, in the theater I go to, also the Cinemark, they have a little "Welcome to Cinemark" thing going on. And they always show clips of upcoming movies, and every single one of them started and finished with the Boss Baby. And I felt like the Boss Baby was smart because they did that takeoff of uh, they did commentary about Beauty and the Beast for uh, right before the Beauty and the Beast film during the previews for that. So I thought that was a smart move. I mean, why not target the people that are going to be watching that film? Guess what? Come on next week, guys, and you can see me being a little baby. Exactly. Yeah. They had a great marketing campaign on that movie. And I think it was actually really Alec Baldwin in a in, a, in a, an adult diaper. Yeah, I heard that he actually recorded his lines uh, from a crib, from an adult-sized, uh, <laughs> giant-sized crib. He's a very large man. I heard that he uh, sat in this crib with uh, an adult diaper and recorded all of his lines that way. What a, a just a true artist, that man. So, his method. His method. And I, I'm not going to disparage anybody's choices to, to be able to get into the character. You know, many people have different approaches. I applaud it. I applaud it. Uh, we've got Alvin joining the chat, everybody. Look at that. If you're wondering how long it would take for Alvin to join in. Right now, it's like 1024 Pacific time. Alvin is in the chat, everybody. Uh, already hopping on board the, the horrible marketing train for the Smurfs. It's, uh, it's a shame. Hopefully, we'll see another one. You know, I, I feel like maybe that's a property that we don't need to see it as a film again, but bring it back to TV. It seemed to have a nice long run in Saturday morning cartoons. Maybe, maybe it's better served in that venue as opposed to trying to do films with it. Yeah, I think it could do some business on TV. I'll yeah. see why not. It's a decent property. Yeah, for sure. And if you're if you're really kind of heading back and you're doing like Ducktales, uh, the Powerpuff Girls, you're kind of going back to those older cartoons. Even the Smurfs, Smurfs are older than both of those, but I think it shows that yo those uh, those cartoons that people liked as kids, there's still a there's still a place for it right now. I agree. There's definitely a nostalgia market, especially with TV and cartoons. And I mean, even in movies, if we're talking about with Beauty and the Beast coming back and all that, mm-hmm. um, like we have Invader Zim coming back to Nickelodeon and. Like you said, with Powerpuff Girls, and I think uh, Samurai Jack's back as well on Cartoon Network. That's true. It was a big nostalgia market, and but like you said, it Smurfs is a bit further back than that. But um, they may have already missed the boat. But I don't see the harm in trying. Why not? Yeah, I think this this diminishing box office shows they've got nothing to lose by making an attempt at TV again. Uh, coming in, so speaking of Smurfs, coming in, that was number three at the box office, and it was also the subject of our box office bet last week. Uh, we had a nice little wide specter, uh, spectrum of bets here. Neil, of course, felt very comfortable because he was in the middle position, which is always the safest place to be when you're doing the box office bet. That way you can kick up your heels. You know, you get a free, easy weekend, not having to sweat it out. So how did it feel knowing you were safe and snug as a bug in a rug? Let me tell you, Frank, it felt great. <laughs> this weekend I uh, slept in, I... Drink some hot cocoa for no reason other than the fact that I didn't have to worry about how much money the Smurfs was going to make this weekend. I uh, I, I will I will be honest. I was kind of worried because I did not want to have to go see this film. And fortunately enough, I will not have to. Uh, I The way the box office bets came down, we had Carrie Lane at 25, Neil at 22, and I was at 15. The Smurfs, The Lost Village, came in at four, a little hair over $14 million. Whew, that was... Whew. Man, that was a nice call. I felt very good about that. So, Carrie Lane, uh, I feel like once you're done with the International the International Film Festival, just don't even bother going home. Just go directly to a theater. Check out that late-night Smurf screening. 
and uh, be ready to tell us all about it next Sunday. That'll be a good uh, palate cleanser there for her, Frank. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. See all these great art house films from international markets and then go see the Smurfs. <laughs> Ruin everything you just did. <laughs> uh, coming in at number four, uh, Zach Braff's directorial, uh, third directed film, uh, Going in Style. Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, Alan Arkin. $12.5 million from Warner Brothers and New Line. Uh, from what I heard like this, I, you know, I, I have to be honest, I did not realize that this was a remake until I was reading reviews about it. Well, I didn't know that until just this moment. Yeah, it was uh, back in the 70s. It was a, uh, I can't remember who started in there, but yes, so it was a remake. And uh, from what I heard, like, you know, the film's just okay. Yeah, that's kind of what it looked like. And you know, it's a remake, so... Zach Braff, can't you do some original work for once, maybe? Yeah, I, there's nothing nothing about this. And the, they're all three of them great actors who I've enjoyed in various different films and various different roles. But nothing about this made me feel like I needed to go see this in a theater. I mean, if it came on at home, maybe I'd watch it. But I feel no desire to actually go and pay money to see this in a theater. Yeah, me neither. It's, uh, and I don't know what it's... I mean, cause I, I don't want to say like, well, you know, it's with three actors, uh, three, I guess you can say elderly actors that immediately like makes me want to not care about seeing it in the theater. But I just feel like this, at least the story or I don't know if it was the, the trailer just didn't really suck me in at all for this. Yeah, uh, I would say the uh, marketing campaign uh, definitely wasn't as good as the boss baby. It's uh, oh, and speaking of uh, the boss baby there in the chat. Uh, Scott Patterson says the boss baby one hundred and ninety nine point seven million dollars worldwide, and Star Drew says didn't Neil vote for twenty five million? Neil, is I remember. That true? I mean, I don't remember the exact amount. I do remember being very comfortably between In the both yourself and Carrie D. Lane. No, I feel, I feel like that's true because I know I was sweating bullets like that. So uh, we'll double check the tape, but I feel yes. I I feel like it's Neil is safely in the middle. So it's it's Carrie Lane, guys. Just. Be excited for Carrie. Everybody, let's just tweet and, and, and be excited and send our congratulations to Carrie to be able to get the opportunity to see the Smurfs, the Lost Village, in theater, which is, I think, clearly by its box office, is not something a lot of people can say that they did. And Carrie will be able to add to that, little, that, that small list of people. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Starter says, better sure Carrie vote for $22 million last week. Nope, and Albin comes in with the, the confirmation. Neil was in the middle. So there we go. Albin, once again, thank you so much. All right. Then Neil, now you can finally rest easy, Neil. I know you were worried for a moment there. Oh, man, I was sweating bullets. <laughs> uh, coming to number five, Ghost in the Shell from Paramount, $7.35 million. Uh, down over 60%. It's, uh, that film is not going to be around for long, which is a shame. Because had it done well, would you want to see another film, a continuation of the story? Or would you, were you just fine no matter how well it did, one film was good enough for you? Um, I'll go with uh, the latter there, Frank. Uh, that was, uh, yeah, this, uh, no matter how well it did, this is a one and done for you. Yeah. Also, uh, uh, just uh, for Star Drew in the chat, I just rewatched uh, that part of the episode last week. Our numbers were off by a little bit. Oh. But not in favor of Star Drew. It was actually Frank at 18, Neil at 20, and Carrie Delane at 22. Ah, all right. So look at that. So it was so, even closer than we thought. Man, I was even farther away than I thought. Oh, boy, I was, I was all praising myself. I thought I had 15, so nope. There you go. All right. So there you go, Star Drew. Neil got the official confirmation from the tape. My apologies for uh, misremembering those numbers. So, And thank you, Neil, for keeping me honest. Nah, no problem. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so uh, Ghost in the Shell, I feel like certainly next week it is off the top five list. Uh, I don't think there's going to be much change other than that for the next week. But given what's coming out next week, it's bumping off the say goodbye, Ghost in the Shell, for being in the top five. Take care, everybody. Uh, but that does it for the domestic side. Internationally, though, uh, we, we definitely see definitely seeing that it, uh, Beauty and the Beast is still topping the international box office. Uh, it got another $36.1 million this weekend, and now it is uh, basically it's, uh, it dipped from number one to number three internationally, trailing behind Ghost in the Shell, which it came in at $41.3 million internationally, and The Boss Baby, $37.5 million internationally. Uh, basically, Beauty and the Beast, their, uh, their total 
total global the total global box office is nine hundred and seventy seven point four million dollars, and it's pretty much going to be crossing one billion dollars in just a few days. Uh, it also rose to uh, just $545.1 million just overseas and helped Disney Studios collect 100, over $1 billion plus in 2017 overseas receipts with $1.007 billion to date. Uh, Ghost in the Shell basically got uh, number one film overseas in the, in the Middle Kingdom, start $21.4 million there in uh, the Asian markets, and which is higher than the 2014 actioner Lucy, which bowed to $20 million there. But I admit, if I had to choose between the two, Neil, you saw Lucy, right? I did, yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure I'd choose Ghost in the Shell again. Over Lucy? Oh, yeah. Well, hmm. I don't know. I feel like visually, I like Ghost in the Shell better. I don't know if story-wise, I like Lucy better. But... Yeah, visually, I've, I felt like certainly Ghost in the Shell, at least visually, offered so many different things that I hadn't seen. Then Lucy felt like, oh, it was, it was very much closer to uh, just a take of our, uh, just an alternate take of our modern day settings. I agree. And I also think that uh, Lucy was just a little bit too unmotivated of a plot and a storyline to uh, bear me interest to watch it again. Mm. I'd rather watch Ghost in the Shell because at least I can relate that to some of my n- nostalgia like we talked about earlier. That's true, because uh, I know on iTunes, they did uh, Lucy, the week of Ghost in the Shell opening. It was there. They usually, over the weekend, they'll knock one film down to four ninety nine, and Lucy was the one for that. And I kind of hemmed and hawed over the entire weekend about, like, oh, should I get it? Should I get it? And I ultimately didn't. Uh, and at the moment, when you find out that the sale's over and you've just missed it, I felt momentarily bad. But now, after, like, three or four days, I'm like, eh, I'm not, I'm not feeling that awful that I missed out on it. Yeah, I don't think you missed anything there. No? All right. <laughs> uh, and basically, another weekend activity internationally, uh, Smurfs Lost Village added $22 million for $42.1 million offshore total. And Kong Skull Island got another $16 million overseas for a total of 377.8 and a global total of $534.4 million. That still seems a little low. I feel like I feel like Warner Brothers would have liked to have seen that done a little bit better, don't you think? Yeah. Um, how how long has it been in theaters? Uh, what it came out? Did it? Uh, it came out the beginning of March, right? Yeah, it so was a, it was a, at least a good yeah, was a, month was, ago. Wasn't uh, I think it? yeah, it was, I think it was the first weekend in March. Was it was March tenth? Maybe. Well, yeah. I mean, like yeah. you know, half, half, a, half a billion worldwide in a month. That's that seems a little low for, for probably for what they're going for. Yeah. Um, but it's respectable for sure. Man. Uh, but I mean, I, f- I still feel like, yeah, they're def- we're definitely going get, to get Godzilla too, and I know they're not going to leave the opportunity to have Godzilla versus King Kong. I feel like that they that's a that's a good money market for the two of them. No, that's the entire reason they're doing this. I mean, that's like a Marvel doing the four Netflix Defender solo series before they get to the Defender show, and then they just you know? can't, and then decide, you know what, we're not going to do Defenders. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? We're no. just going to do three straight seasons of The Punisher, please and thank you. <laughs> Uh, going in style, uh, basically opened overseas uh, to $4.3 million in 32 markets. And setting a new milestone, Liongate's six-time Oscar winner La La Land has reached $287.8 million internationally to surpass the lifetime of The Hunger Games. Uh, but basically, right, folks, everybody's going to be looking right now for the upcoming weekend for The Fate of the Furious. So that's going to be the, the big game changer. In fact... For this week's box office bet, that is the only film that's going to be out there, which is going to be fun. We're going to be able to try to guess. It's going to be huge numbers from all of us, or basically all of us. I just mean Neil and I, by trying to figure out what this box office is going to be. So that'll be some fun predictions a little later in the episode. But before we do that, uh, we always like to do like a little box office look back. Somebody that's going to be in, in a film that's coming out this weekend. We look back on their career and see what their top five films are. So, of course... The, one of the coolest things that uh, 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 Furious 7 did was that they added Kurt Russell into the mix. And he's got even a bigger role in Fate of the, Furi- uh, the Fate of the Furious. So I was like, well, why don't we take a look back at some of Kurt Russell's films? I'm a huge Kurt Russell fan. Neil, are you on the Kurt Russell bandwagon? Oh, absolutely. I recently noticed that they put Escape from New York on Netflix, and I really want to rewatch that. Uh, you know, his hair alone is magnificent. But uh, that alone... Is worth your adoration, but he's got so much else that he brings to the table. So, man, I'm going to have to go th- check that out because it's been a long time since I've seen Escape from New York. Did you like Escape from Los Angeles? I did. I, I didn't really. 
I mean, he has he has other. I mean, it's it's pretty campy, and if you like it for the, its campiness, I can see that. But I would also argue that you know, why don't you just watch like Big Trouble or or Escape from New York instead? Would you want to see Big Trouble remade? Because I know there was talk for a while that perhaps The Rock was going to handle a, a remake of that. If if they're going to make a remake, it better star The Rock. If 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 it's not starring The Rock, I'm not even going to pose a little bit of interest on it. <laughs> and and it, and if it is starring The Rock, then it, it at least has a small amount of my attention, and I'll I'll try to see what it looks like when it starts coming out. That's the best I can do, though. Yeah, I I don't I can't think of anybody else that I feel like could just with the public goodwill could take on a remake of that and not have everybody just turn against him. Think about yeah. like what are you do? What are you doing? I'm right there with you. Yeah, and plus, I don't know, who would you get that good... I mean, how much do you involve John Carpenter? Who would want to come in and follow John Carpenter's footsteps for that? I don't know. Uh, but I feel like I've not that was taught, being talked about for a while, and then I feel like it's kind of died down. So I have I don't have, have any idea what the status of that's going to be. Especially it's, with... It's, it's one of those like cult classics that people always want to remake, and then they can't because of the discussion that we're having right now. It's like... It, it wasn't really big when it came out. It became a cult classic, so it's beloved by a very tight fan group. And if you try to remake it to break in those monies, people are going to be looking at it like, oh, you're, just, you're literally just looking to take my money. You're not looking to advance the story. You're not looking to you know, bring this story forward into a, like a modern age. You're just, you're just trying to print money off of me. Yeah, I can't. And feel free in the chat if you can think of one. Uh, I'm trying to think of some remake of a cult classic that has actually done better than the film that it was be, that it was remaking, and I can't. Nothing's popping. Well, the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like that's like a that I feel like surpassed your. I mean, you're building a whole mythology for that. You're just kind of con- you're telling a continuing story, but I feel like. Well, no, wasn't there a movie from uh, from from far away back named The Fast and Furious that at least the title is based on that Universal um, owned? Uh, gosh, uh, maybe it could be, but uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean, because you think of like, well, like Sabrina is not like a cult classic, but they remade that, and that was not as good with uh, Harrison Ford and uh, Greg Kinnear. But that's not even a, that's not even. I feel like Sabrina is not is better than a cult classic. At least the original. I don't know. Feel free to wait. chat. Uh, feel free to hop in there, chat. Perhaps I'm completely barking up the wrong tree. Uh, but I feel like I feel like that's a statement that I feel like could hold true. That there's the remakes have never done better than its predecessors. But who am I? I'm just a man alone in a room, talking to you folks on the mic, comforted by the audio tones of Neil Plumley. That's who I am today. All right, so uh, as we're talking about, we got off on the Kurt Russell tangent right there. Uh, we're going to basically do a top five look back there of not Fast and Furious, a non-Fast and fa- excuse me, Fast and Furious box office films. Of course, number one for Kurt Russell was Furious Seven. That blew away every other opening weekend that he ever had. In fact, probably a little over a hundred million dollars difference between that, which is number one for him, and the number two for film for him. So. Uh, you can see just, man, how much uh, being in a Fast and Furious film can really do wonders for your personal box office totals. So coming in number five for him was Stargate. Him, James Spader, back from MGM, 94, made $16.6 million. I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I, I like I like Stargate, too. I thought it was fine. And I was a sucker for the TV show. Man, I think I pretty much watched every season of that. Uh, you're alone there, Frank. Really? No, I, I mean, you're not alone in general, but... I never got around to watching the series. Oh man, it's uh, it's good. Richard Dean Anderson, Michael Shank, uh, two other people <laughs> that were in there that I can't remember their names. Uh, but no, I feel like uh, this was this was a fun film, and I know that there's there had always been talk about doing sequels to them, and they never really materialized. And then I feel like the TV show just really went off and running on Showtime, and then eventually over to Sci-Fi, and the story never got picked up. I don't know. I worry if they were to go back and revisit this, that it would be very much like in kind of like the Independence Day films from last summer. I feel like it'd kind of go that vein where there's just no, I don't think the audience really cares to go back and revisit this property. I agree. And that's a good way to put it, especially with uh, uh, Independence Day resurgence and how uh, that, that didn't really do well. No, it's, do you, would you imagine that Independence Day resurgence would have done better if Will Smith had been in it? 
I think Independence Day Resurgence would have done better if Will Smith was in it and if it was made two years after ID4. Right. But it wasn't. So it's not. Okay, how, how long could they have waited and you think it still would have done really well? Ten years? I don't know. Ten years is pushing it. Maybe five at the most. I mean, this was, what, six? This is, what, 20, this is 20, like 23, 22 years, right? Uh, yeah, around there. It was a long time. Yeah, so, ugh, yeah. Uh, I feel like if, yeah, because I think this would have definitely been a lot different story if Will Smith had been involved. It would have been more interesting, perhaps, but I can understand why Will Smith really doesn't have a desire to re- revisit a 22-year-old film. Uh, coming to number five for Kurt Russell, Miracle from Disney. Opened up with $19.3 million back in 2004. Never saw this movie. I always remember seeing the trailers, and uh, but I never actually saw it. Did you see it, Neil? I don't think I have. The name sounds familiar, though, but I can't, I can't really place it. Uh, yeah, the, basically uh, from the uh, was it 1980 Olympic team, their big... Uh, win over the uh, the, oh, right. the hockey team. The, uh, yeah, the hockey team. Yes. Okay. No, I, I unfortunately I haven't seen it, but it did look good. I was interested in it. Yeah, and he plays the coach of the uh, the U.S. Mm-hmm. hockey team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Star Drew uh, in the chat says Miracle or Hateful Eight should make the list, and so uh, Star Drew, you were right on one of those, which was Miracle. Uh, Hateful Eight did not make Kurt Russell's uh, non Fast and Furious top five, which again, again, as we say, this list is not a subject of quality. Of these films, just in terms of what it did for its opening box office weekend. Uh, coming in number four, Deepwater Horizon came out uh, last year, 2016. Uh, opened up at $20.2 million, directed by Peter Berg, starring Mark Wahlberg. I never saw this film either. Did you see it, Neil? No, I didn't get a chance to. It looked like, um, it kind of looked like an a oil platform version of The Perfect Storm, though. Yes. And The Perfect Storm was a fine movie. Yeah, it's a... Uh... Yeah, I guess I it, it, I feel like this is a movie that right about now should be starting to show up on uh, like HBO, any of the pay cable channels. I should keep an eye out for this. It'd be kind of cool to watch. I always enjoy a Peter Berg film, but I feel like if it's not going to be the rundown, I feel like everything, every other film since then, it kind of lessens compared to the rundown for Peter Berg. You're not wrong there, dude. Oh, the such... rundown is, is fantastic. Oh, it's so good. So good. I remember just watching like the opening sequence where uh, The Rock goes into that bar to... Uh, or at the nightclub to get the uh, the Super Bowl ring from the player, and he just lays a beat down on all those guys. Oh yeah, and just takes the bar apart. Yes, yeah, oh, oh, just fantastic. <laughs> and the way he just picks on Sean William Scott the whole time, oh, so well done. It's, yeah, fantastic movie. Uh, personal preference: Do you want your rock uh, with hair, or do you want him just streamlined? Uh, streamlined. Let's get him. Uh, let's get him hairless. <laughs> That's crazy. Let's get a hairless rock. <laughs> Uh, coming to number three, uh, excuse me, number two for Kurt Russell, Poseidon from Warner Brothers Films came out in 2006, $22.1 million. Uh, this film, I, I, I guess this, because I feel like the, the original Poseidon Adventure, that would fall into the definition of a cult classic. I agree. Uh, yeah. And this one, I did not think it was as good. But I will say that Kurt Russell's death scene in there was really well done. I'll say that I'm uh, I'm trying to downsize my DVD collection, especially with the ones that like parents or siblings give me for birthdays or holidays or something that I don't really want to watch. And uh, I was gonna get rid of the Poseidon Adventure, but or not the Poseidon, but the you know the remake, the uh, Poseidon. Mm-hmm. But uh, I decided to keep it because I'm always down for a, a mediocre you know, disaster movie. Right. And it's it means it's fun to put on and just be like, how would I react in that in that situation <laughs> un- under a boat? Uh, so you have watched it. Yeah, it was a while ago, but around when it came out, I remember. But, um, yeah, I thought it was decent. It was fun. Yeah, I just thought, like, the Kurt Russell really just, uh, the way they shot his sacrifice at the end, I was like, oh, that kind of stuck with me for a little bit. Well done, Kurt Russell. Yeah. And coming in number one for Kurt Russell's non-Fast and Furious box office films, Vanilla Sky, back from 2001, $25 million. And sorry, Lee Jen, it was no, the computer wore tennis shoes. Did that not make the list? <laughs> um, I did, you know, I saw Vanilla Sky, but I have to be honest, I do not remember Kurt Russell in that film. I got to tell you, Frank, uh, I quite like Chocolate Sky or uh, Neapolitan Sky a little bit more than, than Vanilla. Ba-dum-bum. Yeah, I, I cannot remember what he plays in that film at all. I mean, I just remember Penelope Cruz and Tom Cruise, uh, Tom Cruise, Penelope Cruz, and Cameron Diaz. I do not remember Kurt Russell in there. 
I'm so sorry, Kurt. Usually I have a good memory of your films. Uh, let's see here. Uh, in the chat, Sky Patterson says both uh, Deepwater Horizon and uh, oh, the uh, the film that came out for the, the Boston bombing. Uh, were a Patriot's Day, I believe that was what it was. I said they were both really good. Correct. Patriot's Day. Yes. Uh, so that was our look back there at uh, the, the box office, that, a little back box office rewind there for Kurt Russell. But, of course, folks, as I mentioned, the, the subject of this week's box office bet is going to be The Fate of the Furious coming out in Universal uh, this, this, uh, this coming weekend. But before we do that, we're going to figure out our, our official box office bet. We'll figure out how our top five is going to look adding the fate of the furious into the mix now it's coming in at 4200 screens and just for you folks uh, as we're doing these uh, predictions and everything uh fast and furious 6 and furious 7 made a uh, 97.6 and 147 million dollars their respective box office weekends so uh given that neil where do you feel <laughs> do you feel the fate of the furious could uh could make number one i don't know frank boss baby's holding on real tight very true. With those little infant hands on the uh, number one Rattler for the past two weeks. Now, I'm not sure if uh, Furious 7 can take the top spot away from it. Or okay. Furious 8, I mean. Let's, uh, all right, so looking at uh, the Fast and Furious 6, so it has like 97.6. Fate of the Fur- uh, Fa- Furious 7, 147. How much of that do you think is just like the natural, just kind of like the fans are just growing more and more rabid about this franchise? How much do you think this last film with the death of Paul Walker, all the, the, the I don't want to say controversy, but kind of how they're going to handle this because the film hadn't, hadn't finished filming at the time of his passing and how they were going to incorporate his passing into the film, what they were going to do with this? Do you, do you feel added to that increase in opening box office weekend? I think it definitely added as uh, as Heath's uh, passing added to uh, prospective Dark Knight opening numbers. Um, I think that uh, the passing of Paul Walker uh, definitely contributed to some Furious Seven money. However, uh, the Furious franchise has been sort of inking its way up to being juggernauts in the in the franchise uh, box office numbers for a while now. It started off as you know that's, that's like a small series with just a couple of mediocrely semi-unknown action stars and has grown into this like insane action series that is now taking the world by storm uh domestically uh we might see some you know more conservative numbers than uh furious 7 because of the uh, paul walker uh effect is what i'll call it uh, but internationally, I think this movie is just gonna it's just gonna take take the world by storm. So if you see it doing less than 147 million, if it does not exceed its uh, Furious Seven film, do you see that as a, a sign of weakness in the franchise? Do you feel like people are gonna say like, uh oh, this franchise is starting to crumble, or do you feel like you had that you have to figure in the death of Paul Walker into that opening fam, and so you, Universal should not be concerned if it does not do 147. Um, I think I think Universal is gonna be concerned. If it doesn't do 147 in general, uh, I think if I was an executive, I'd I'd be concerned at that point. But as a viewer, um, you know, maybe not. I think it'll be. I think it's probably just fine. Uh, in terms of all the marketing that you've seen for this, how do you feel? Do you feel like they've kind of got their the rhythm? Do you feel like it's just like a well-oiled machine in terms of marketing each of these films that's coming out every couple of years? Oh yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. They have uh, they have great trailers that are honestly just way better than the movies themselves. They get you real amped up to go see it. Um, I mean, I see like a whole bunch of, I mean, I mean, we live in Los Angeles where it's like billboard city, but see a lot of billboards, a lot of bus ads, a lot of, you know, all that sort of stuff. I've been seeing a lot of fast, a lot of fast and furious past few months. I got to tell you. And I feel like they've done a good job of kind of teasing you about this film and showing you what the main thrust of the whole story is going to be, but without really showing any of their cards about why characters are doing what they're doing, which is always a sign of a, a good marketing campaign. It intrigues you, but it doesn't reveal everything to you. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that uh, I think that Charlie Theron coming into the mix will definitely add some uh, add some more um, intrigue to how she is going to be such a problem for the team. And I also like how they're bringing uh, Jason Statham back, but they're sort of squirreling him onto, uh, onto uh, uh, what they would probably call in the movie uh, the good side. Yeah, I, uh, because what I liked about him is they did not kill his character off. So they put him, in, put him in, in a deep underground prison at the end of the last film. 
And I thought he might sit there for like he might sit out of the film, the next film, and then come back for Fast and Furious Nine. But uh, they no, they did not waste any time. They brought him, brought him right back into the mix. Yeah, which I do like about this franchise is that what I I think what I enjoy most about this is that like in the sense that everything counts. Pretty much any character that's ever appeared in any of the films just gets brought along. You get sucked into this whole big continuity and family, and you just go along with the with these stories, which I kind of like that. They kind of just incorporate everybody that comes into their orbit. Did they ever bring back uh, that kid from Tokyo Drift? He showed up in the last film because they they finally re, they finally merged the timelines and figured out how Tokyo Drift fit into the Fast and Furious films franchise proper. And so they finally did a continuation of what happens at the end of Tokyo Drift when he and Dom race through the parking garage. And so they brought Lucas Black in to do some scenes that take place after that. And I felt that was a little weird because they they showed some of the original uh, Tokyo Drift and then they cut back to him now, which has been you know many many years later and he does not nearly look the same as he did back then you can definitely tell like all right yep he's definitely aged quite a bit since then right yeah uh yeah but i was bummed because i wanted them to bring him into the action and have him go out on the team but uh, other than that just like that little uh little cameo in furious 7 he has not been sticking around which is disappointing i, w- I was hoping they were going to keep lucas black around yeah, I thought they were going to bring him in as part of the crew, like you know the um, the the crew member who can drift better than the others, and, and they get to get into a tight corner, and they're like, "Ah, oh, there's no way we can get in here to pull off this heist." And he's like, oh, "I can do it." I thought it was going to be that kind of a character, but it never sort of came up until, like you said, just uh, just recently. Uh, so now Sky here in the chat says, "Fast Nine, 2019; Fast Ten, 2021. Fast Ten is the final film in the franchise." Now. If this continues to, to go on this arc that it's been going on, just like these fantastic box office opening weekends and then final box office totals. And they keep uh, – basically, if they at least keep where they're at right now, if not exceed. Do you feel like Universal is not going to at least try after Fast and Furious 10 to do some spinoff? Whether it wanted to be like, you know what, uh, Rock, how about if, Don, if uh, Vin Diesel wants to kind of step away, Rock, why don't we kind of steer the franti- franchise towards you and have you lead the, the next trilogy? Could you see Universal wanting to step away from this moneymaker? I can see. Um, that's a good question. I think. Um, I think they'll definitely be interested in doing something like that, being Universal and wanting to put franchises together for days and days. Um, but I, I, I actually, you know what? I wouldn't mind if they started a new action franchise of some kind, and then had some of these characters cross over, sort of making it apparent mm. that they're in the same universe. In somehow. Oh, that's cool because I feel like, especially if the if the their monster universe does not really take off, I feel like Universal is going to want to keep a, a, a sure thing going as long as possible. Okay, so new idea: Godzilla versus King Kong versus Dominic Toretto, <laughs> and he's just he's just driving his his uh, his ninety four Impala, not ninety four, yeah, seventy four Impala. And he's just cruising between these two monsters, and he's doing his best. What if, uh, say by 2021, they finish with these, 2023, 2024 even, they merge Fast and Furious and Jurassic World? I'm so down. I think, I think that's the reason I started watching movies. Because <laughs> <you, laughs> I want to I see the fast, the fast characters fight dinosaurs in Jurassic World. That's right. Imagine dinosaurs jumping around and there's like, you know, there's Dom just, you know, sliding in with his Dodge Charger like, Oh, yeah. He's like, no, I got it all souped up. It it runs basically as fast as a Raptor now, so (laughs) this will work. He's sitting there with uh, with the Raptors around him like Chris Pratt did, but he's talking about family. We're we're family. We're family. Hey, (laughs) Raptors, we're family. (laughs) It's all about family, Raptors. Don't you get it? Uh, Sky Patterson says in the chat, the Hobbs solo film in development hell. I... I feel like uh, certainly with nine and ten, uh, kind of uh, the tra- course already charted for those. I feel like that's plenty of time for them to figure out a Hobbs solo film. And the, oh, uh, Neil, did you see the uh, article that came out this weekend? Because there had always been that kind of rumored kind of beef between The Rock and Vin Diesel in terms of The Rock not really to be a big fan of Vin Diesel on set, and uh, Vin Diesel kind of responded to it over this weekend. No, I didn't see that. What, what's what's going on? It's uh, man, it. It was an interesting kind of reply because basically the idea was that, and I can understand, like if you have ever watched or looked at The Rock's Instagram, that man is busy. He does not stop. And so 
he, uh, from as the story goes, of which I've heard that he and Vin Diesel, in terms of their working styles, very different. The Rock comes in prepared, ready to do his thing, and then get out of there because he's got a billion other things that he has to do as well. And Vin's more like, hey, you know, we're here. Let's just, you know, kind of, you know, whatever happens, happens. If we just kind of want to play around or mess around, and days can kind of run long. And I guess that was a source of friction between them. Uh, and so he, he sent out uh, he, Instagram. He kind of alluded to some people from the Fast and Furious film especially the males, not being really prepared, not bringing everything, not uh, giving 100%. And pretty much everybody kind of connected the dots and said that he was calling out Vin Diesel. And so Vin Diesel was talking to Entertainment Weekly and basically said, like, you know what? The Rock doesn't know how much I've done for him. You know, I've always been looking out for him, even though if he doesn't know that I've been looking out for him. And, uh, you know, we call him Uncle Dwayne here in the house. I'm like... It, it was it was a way to try to make it feel like he's cool with it, but also made it wanted to feel like, you know, the Rock still owes a lot to me for paving the way for him. Like it was, the tone of it just did not play well. Yeah, it sounds. I mean, this has sort of been a, a, a trend with Vin Diesel, but it seems like it's not just Dominic Toretto, but Vin, who's all about having a family with his with his co-stars. You know, he wants them all to like, you know, everyone to be pals and hang out and be part of the family. Especially with Paul, I mean, those two were just closest brothers. You know, yeah. they're with each other through 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 so much, so so many different moments in each other's lives. Um, and I feel like The Rock. I mean, like you said, he's all business. You know, he's hey, I'm going to come in, I'm going to shoot my scene, I'm going to be cordial, and it's going to work out, and I know all my lines. And I think Vince is, um, or uh, sorry, Vin is. Um, I mean, if I had to hypoth- hypothesize, I would say that he's probably more of a more of a loosey goosey sort of guy. Yeah, that would be the case. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm Team Rock on this one. Uh, let's see. Uh, Lee Jen in the in the chat says that uh, he uh, does, does not want a Hobbs film. And Stardew says that news was in 2015 in October. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you, do, you know, I have to admit, I love The Rock. I'd be more than happy to see a Hobbs solo film. Neil, would you want to? Or you only want to see him in the context of the rest of the characters from Fast and Furious. I mean, does it have to be Hobbs? Can it just be The Rock being an action hero in his own franchise? Uh, he's he's got the star power. He's the he's the leading like A ranking actor right now. Now I mean, for several years, actually, I think he can hold his own franchise. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, because he's got Rampage coming up. He's got Jungle Cruise. He's got uh, he's got the Black Adam film that he's going to be doing for DC. Uh, plus, he's also working on just a, a smaller wrestling film that his uh, Seven Buck Productions is doing. So, uh, and you got Jumanji. And, yeah, Jumanji um, as well. Baywatch is coming out yep. soon. Yeah, the man is busy. I think he can. I think if Universal pitched it, that man would find time in his schedule to put a, like a five picture franchise together easily. Yes, uh, I say so the one thing you, when you get with uh, Vin Diesel, I mean, you get, if he's on board with you, man, he is in with you one hundred percent. He does everything from. You know, making the rounds for the media to you know promoting the hell out of it to working his butt off on the the promotional side of your of the film that he's involved with. I love that guy. What can I say? All right, so enough of talking about all this. Why don't we throw in a? Uh, why don't we talk about what we think next week's top five is going to look like? I'm going to be honest. I'm going to come right out, Neil, and say I don't see much change other than the fate of the fears coming in at number one, and everything else just knocking down one, and saying goodbye to Ghost on the Shell. Do you see something different? No, I'm seeing about the same here. I mean, unless unless going in style really tanks next weekend, and Ghost only loses like another thirty percent off of its gross from this week, then you know, maybe it'll stay at number five. But I don't think that's very likely. Yeah, because I mean, I feel like if you had to choose between seeing another action, or would you want to see Fast and Furious, or, or The Fate of the Furious, or Ghost on the Shell? I feel like at least Ghost in, going in style is a little bit of counter programming. Yeah, yeah, I agree there. Yeah, that's why I think it's. That, that's the more likely choice, unless something crazy was going to happen. All right, so given that, do you feel like it's still going to say uh, one, uh, two and three would be the Boss Baby and Beauty and the Beast, or would this be the weekend that you could see Beauty and the Beast maybe doing a little bit better than Boss Baby? I don't know. You know, I want to stick to my guns. I want to say that, uh, that you know, my, my prediction from last week, that Beauty is going to take over Boss, but um, I don't know. I might flop on that. I think Boss might take it. I think pretty much everyone who's going to rush out to see Beauty and the Beast has done so already. 
Um, and like you said, you got that counter programming going up with Boss Baby against Fast and Furious. That's true because it's certainly not Smurfs the Lust Village. That is not going to be enough counter programming no, for that. God, no, no, you need a little bit more than that. <laughs> All right, so I feel like yeah, we're feeling pretty good with in terms of the fate of the Furious coming in at number number one, and everything else is just kind of knocking down one. So the Boss Baby, Beauty and the Beast, Smurfs the Lust Village, and then number five would be Going in Style. Uh, so there's only one thing left to do here, Neil, and you know what that is, and you know what that is, Chat. Uh, it is going to be deciding how much this box office total is going to be for our box office bet. Now, ooh, look at Neil. A little rocking in the Jeopardy thing. As always, folks, the box office bet works that Neil and I are going to place our bets for what we think that this film's going to do. It's opening box office weekend. The one who's closest to the actual total gets bragging rights. They are the prognosticators of prognosticators. The loser will have to go see this film. And this is one of those weeks where, you know, it's, it's, it's fun even if you lose. So, because uh, I'm seeing this film regardless, Neil, are you going to see this film regardless? Yeah, so, yeah uh, I'll make. I'll, I'll find some time to make my way out and see. Uh, it's, it's honestly, it's one of my favorite, uh, not very well made movie franchises. <laughs> is the Fast and Furious franchise? Well, you know, I will say, and maybe because The Rock is, I know people have been chiming away in the chat, like how busy he is on other projects. Uh, the one thing I didn't like about Furious 7 was just how little of The Rock there was in there. But I also understand they maybe have had other shooting that was happening at that same time as well. What I like about The Fate of the Furious is they've really beefed up The Rock's role. And maybe that's because of due to the passing of uh, Paul Walker. They needed to have somebody of like equal stature to Vin Diesel. Yeah, you could be right there. I uh, I think that, you know, if anything, they should concentrate more on Letty. Because uh, Michelle Rodriguez, I, I love her in those movies, and I want more from her. She she took down uh, Ronda Rousey in that last one, and that fight was dope. Yeah, that was really good. The one thing is it's like uh, with Paul Walker's character, if you think about it, in the Fast and Furious universe, uh, I feel like everybody on that team is pals with uh, Paul Walker's character. And because they like to hang out with him. I mean, Tyrese and he went to, you know, they were high school buddies back in uh, Too Fast, Too Furious. So they had this history, and it was really fun to see them kind of like joke around with each other. So I feel like everybody else knows Paul Walker's character. Like, cool, yeah, all right, let's hang out with him. I feel like they hang around with Dominic Toretto because they're just like, well, he's here. But I feel like without Paul Walker's character, like, I don't know if any of these people would want to hang out with Dom because he, all he talks about is family all the time and uh, drinking Coronas. Yeah, he's like, hey, everyone, stop talking. Everyone quiet. <laughs> yeah. We're family. And then he hands out Coronas. <laughs> everyone drink because we're family now. And Paul's like, hey, does anyone want to go see? Uh, want to go sit down and watch some cartoons on my TV with my kid? Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, that sounds like fun. <laughs> Dom's like, no, we got to eat dinner and someone has to pray and we're family. Oh. Drink a Corona. So, yeah, I feel like now with him out of Familia. the way. <laughs> oh, me familiar. I feel like at least The Rock, at least the way these trailers have proposed it up, is like he's kind of stepped into like, hey, we're family, we're family, we're family. For as the guy that was trying to uh, pursue them doggedly for uh, at least Fur- uh, Furious 5, to now all of a sudden be the guy that's like really touting family to this, it, uh, it does make for an interesting transition for The Rock's character. Yeah, it's like, uh, hey, you hurt my family. Uh, well, it's okay because we're family. <laughs> so uh, you can't hurt us because we look out for each other. Well, yeah, that's what, was, that's what I'm doing. You hurt my brother. Uh, all right. I need to put down a number here for my box office bet. Hey, man, uh, I'm all set. You're you gotta, all set. You got to figure it out. Uh, man, is it going to do 147? Is it going to do better than that? Uh, opening weekend. I feel like this is, oof. Um, man, so far, we only, we haven't had anything much over $100 million so far this year, have we? That sounds beauty, right? Yeah. So I feel like... All right, I'm going to shoot for the moon. All right, here we go. All right, I've got my number. Neil, you've got yours? Yes, I do. All right, I'm going to go $140 million on this baby. Oh, boy, Frank. I'm, I'm, shooting, I'm shooting high. Oh, you're getting up there, buddy. I, I want to feel like there's an excitement about this. I feel like you can make it. What do you think? I was, uh, you know what, just because the franchise has a warm place in my heart, uh, I'm going to say 150 Oh, nice. You're even shooting higher. So I'm it's gonna... shooting higher. Man, all right. The way you were talking about it, I feel like you were like, oh, man, Frank, you went too high. You're even going higher. I'm not playing with my brain on this one, Frank. I got my heart in my sleeve, and I'm going to wear it. All right. Uh, Courtney in the chat says that she's going to go really big for Fast and Furious and say $180 million. Yeah, more power to you, Courtney. That's a great prediction. Uh, and Lee Jen says, less rock was good. The franchise isn't about him. Focus should be more on the original family. Mia Familia. Mm. 
I don't know. I, 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 Legion, I got to disagree. I feel like the more rock, the better. I, I enjoy him in this mix. I mean, he added so much to that franchise. I feel like when he came out of number five, uh, as a guy that was pursuing them, it was a shot in the arm that that, that franchise needed to kind of really congeal into the, uh, the, the, the enduring series that it's been since then. Uh, let's see. Uh, Ken Jack, 1984, says, Lee Jen, way too low. Even Fast 6 made $97 million opening weekend, and this franchise has gotten bigger since. $175 million, no competition this weekend. One Fate, two Boss, three uh, Beauty and the Beast, four Going Out in Style, and oh, five Smurfs. All right. Uh, and Sky Patterson says, I predict an $885 million worldwide for Fate of the Furious. And uh, I predict like a billion. I think, I, think it'll, I think it'll hit it. Yes, I, oh, for sure. I... Yes, I mean this is Universal's highest-grossing franchise right now. Just uh, used to be uh, Jurassic Park films, but now it is the fa- uh, Fast and Furious franchise. So it's one of the top-grossing franchises out in markets today. I can see this one. I, I feel like this could be the first billion-dollar one for Universal for sure this year. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we uh, will end with Sky Patterson's thoughts since they agree so much with mine. The Rock is a movie star and an actor. Like, yeah, I, I can't disagree with you there, Sky. I don't think you can disagree. Yeah, uh, and Albin, uh, he says at least $1 billion for Fast and Furious, The Fate of the Furious. All right, Albin, yes. Uh, Neil and I agree with you. Like minds think alike there. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for this episode of Box Office Breakdown. Uh, thanks for letting me just kind of just talk your ear off uh, and uh, make Neil talk with me for the past hour. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining in in the chat. Uh, as always, folks, you can like us on iTunes. Give us those five stars there. Subscribe. Uh, give us a like on the Facebook page. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube chat channel. And as again, thanks, everybody, for hopping in the chat. Great to hear from everybody there. Stardew, Courtney, Albin, Lee Jen, Sky Patterson, and so many more. You guys make the show so much fun to do, and it's because you guys take time out of your night to come and interact with us during this, during this hour. So if you want to continue the conversation with us even after this show's over, Neil, where could they find you? Well, Frank, everyone can find me online at multiple platforms on The Neil Plumley. And make sure, folks, go to YouTube, check out Neil's vlogs. You know, just really take an in-depth look at them. Feel free to share your thoughts about them uh, on next week's episode. We'd love to hear what you thought. I know I'm excited to watch them. Oh, God. I regret <laughs> everything. Uh, I'm Frank Moran, folks. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at HappyGoJackie. My co-host, Carrie Lane. You can follow her at Carrie D. Lane on all social media right there. Uh, so she'll be back here next week, I, as will I, as will Neil. And we're going to break down another weekend's box office and probably just, just bask in the greatness that is The Fate of the Furious. Folks, we'll see you next week. Have a great time at the movies. Eat lots of popcorn. See you later. Producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.